Let's move now to Boston, though. Celeste Katz, Katz Marston is our guest in what they call Bean Town. And Celeste, very good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and welcome back to the program. Good morning. Now, Celeste, um, in the next, what's today, the 11th, in the next few days, the Electoral College will actually meet, won't it? And they will decide the winner of the the presidential election, won't they? Right. That's happening on December 14th. And uh, according to most people who follow these things, that should kind of be the end of it, pretty much. That should uh, determine who will be our next president for uh all intents and purposes, it looks like it will be Joe Biden, but uh, Donald Trump obviously is not really uh, ready to give up the ghost just yet. Mm. And look, I suppose he's got every right to do that, but has he, amongst all these many legal matters and court cases, is there any path that there will be any overturning of anything that's uh, come along with this election? Well, he's really trying pretty much everything, you know, very much a kitchen sink approach. And so far, we have not seen him have success in the courts. He's been pursuing uh, arguments in various states. He's gone to the Supreme Court, um, tried to overturn uh, what was going on in Pennsylvania most recently in the Supreme Court. And uh, in a one line uh, rejection with no dissents, they essentially told him to get lost. There has been or there have been a lot of uh, lawyers and legal experts who've weighed in on this. Uh, they think that things have been taken too far. This is Lawrence Tribe. You might want to tell us just after we hear from Lawrence Tribe who he is and why it's important that he had a say. Their objective is not really to win. Their objective is to cast a cloud over the whole idea of democratic elections and to make sure that 70 million people or more in this country believe that votes are legitimate only if they are for Trump. Hmm. So Lawrence Tribe is a Harvard University law professor, and I'm I'm not saying he represents a whole lot of people who feel the same way, but certainly there are a lot of people that uh, feel the way he does. What's behind all this? What do you think is the reason? I understand the president doesn't want to leave office, but he surely must look at the results now and say, well, I lost. But... Whether I mean he can bring himself to say that's another matter, but what really is behind this? Well, I think that certainly Trump, uh, I'm not going to try to get into his head, but certainly he is not somebody who seems to have an easy time with winning, uh, with losing, I should say, or being overruled or being pushed aside. So he does want to sort of satisfy his base. It is not Uh, apparently a particular interest of his to uh, maintain confidence in well-run legitimate elections in this country. He wants to say that he won and Joe Biden lost and that the election was rigged. We have not seen evidence of that. We just have not. And his lawyers uh, going to court time and time again haven't proved it. Uh, At the same time, you know, what is the end game? Uh, That's a good question. I think that uh, one thing that's important to remember is that Although he's spent uh, maybe eight or ten million dollars so far on uh, mounting these legal arguments, he has raised much, much, much more money, uh, sending out appeals to his supporters uh, and to his base, asking them to support him in his fight for a quote unquote legitimate election. He's making money off of this, plain and simple. His campaign is making money off of claiming that this election was a fraud. Is it setting it up for four years' time, do you think? Do you think he's setting it up saying, I'm the legitimate president, 
I only lost because of a rigged system and therefore here's your chance in four years' time to re-elect me. That's entirely possible, or at least he wants to give the impression that that is possible. You know, he will be, uh, he's already a man of a certain age. Uh, he's not going to be getting any younger in the last, in the next four years unless he knows something that the rest of us don't. But uh, he is somebody who has a major following in this country. He did get millions and millions and millions of votes, uh, not enough to win in the Electoral College, uh, nor to win the popular vote from uh, what we can tell. But, uh, you know, this is something that he wants to maintain. He has a life to go back to. He has business interests to continue to support and expand. And so, if anything, he sort of wants to maintain that following and uh, that interest and and that affection from millions of people in this country, many of whom have, uh, as they've proven in this uh, uh, election fraud, quote-unquote, debacle, uh, proven that they have some money to spend on him. Mm. We should point out he got more votes than any president in history. That is amazing. I mean, he got 73, what was it, 74 million votes, something like that. No president running for re-election has ever got that many votes. Look, it wasn't a rout by any means. I think that uh, from what we have seen, Joe Biden wins decisively in the Electoral College. But there's no question that there is a major part of this country that is deeply supportive of Donald Trump, that voted to keep him as president for another four years, that believes in his policies, whether on the economy or on immigration or on the approach to the coronavirus or foreign policy, whatever it may be. There, there's no question about that. This was not... This was not an upset victory. Joe Biden had to fight for those votes. Ultimately, he got them. But there's still a major part of this country that is very attached to Donald Trump and everything he stands for. And uh, that's not going away anytime soon, even if Donald Trump eventually decides to accept that he lost the election and walks peacefully out of the Oval Office. Incredibly, or maybe not so incredibly, the margin of Joe Biden's victory in the popular vote, so it was about 7 million and change, 7 million more people voted for uh, Joe Biden than Donald Trump. That margin, that was the same margin as in California and New York. So if you add those two states together, that is where Joe Biden's margin is. The rest of the country was split pretty much 50-50. So a lot of those... um, those uh, Democrats in New York and California really should move to other states, um, battleground states, you might say, and that would make it a little easier for the Democrats. But it's amazing, isn't it, that you take away that margin in those two biggest states or two biggest Democrat states, and it's 50-50. Yeah, there was there was some movement this time. You saw, uh, for example, Georgia go for Joe Biden, Arizona go for Joe Biden. These are not states that at least historically have been known as Democratic strongholds. No question about it. And yeah, Donald Trump did manage to pull out victories in places where he needed to pull them out. But the electorate is changing. Also, you have to remember, this was just a really weird election. It happened under uh, the circumstances of a, a, you know, deadly global pandemic that essentially up you know upended our entire economy uh you know we have a very unique and un- 
unusual and uh, personally charismatic or polarizing, depending on how you look at it, president in office right now. These are just really strange times. We voted, uh, you know, extraordinarily high rates of voting by mail. That may have affected the outcome and how soon we knew the outcome and so on. That doesn't mean none of those things mean the election was illegitimate, though. And I think that's where Trump's argument is, you know, rightfully failing in the courts. There's just no evidence that the thing was rigged. Um, just before we move on, Reese in Narara says, what am I missing here? How is Trump making money by disputing the election result? Do you want to just run through that again? Sure, no problem. So the way he's making money off of it is that he's out there saying the election was rigged. This was a fraud. I need your help to fight uh, against this uh, this rigging and this uh, this tipping of the scales against me. So what he does then is that he solicits contributions to his campaign, which for a while has uh, been low on money. Um, they have debts, they have vendors that they need to pay, they have staff that is owed money. So generating this kind of outrage helps him uh, bring in more contributions to the campaign. I'm not saying that the money goes into his own pocket personally, but you know campaigns uh, winners lose very often have to work hard to retire their debt. Yeah. Uh, that stuff doesn't just go away after the election is over. So this helps him generate money for his campaign. All right, there you go. Uh, all righty. Now, here we have a uh, prominent friend of uh, Donald Trump talking on the radio. Tell us, first of all, how you're doing. Well, I'm doing fine. I, I uh, Pretty much all the symptoms are gone. I have no fever. I have very little cough. It's just about also gone. I've been walking around. And I think they're going to let me out tomorrow morning. Okay, that's Rudy Giuliani, the president's lawyer and very prominent part of the Trump administration and campaign. He has coronavirus, but he says, oh, I'm up around, I'm fine, I'm walking, I'm going to get out. It, it's, it seems extraordinary, isn't it, of all the people in the Trump White House that have contracted the coronavirus, and there are plenty, no one seems to have ended up, you know, perhaps on a ventilator or in hospital for an extended stay. They've all had a fairly mild case, haven't they? Well, yeah, there are people who have had mild cases, but you have to remember that people in uh, the president's inner circle may have access to better health care uh, and more of it than the average person who, say, works in a grocery store or drives a taxi and ends up having to sort of fend for themselves or go to a public hospital and wait their turn for care. Um, the president himself, obviously, as we know, had coronavirus and he had access to all the latest drugs, some of which are still sort of experimental. Uh, you know, he had access to Regeneron therapy, for example. Um, but he also had a team of doctors dedicated to watching him and him alone uh, 24 hours a day. So the idea that uh, some of the people might have gotten milder cases, that is true. But I personally know, for example, one woman who did get coronavirus uh, after being instantly Rudy Giuliani's guest at a White House function. And uh, she described to me that it was just incredibly agonizing, incredibly painful. Um, and uh, I don't think that everybody gets the same level of care as a Donald Trump or a Rudy Giuliani. Celeste Katz-Marston is our guest in Boston in the United States. And it seems as though those in the White House are just refusing to take any notice of advice given by doctors. I mean, we saw the super spreader moments with uh, events at the White House, events at the in the Rose Garden and things like that. Um, people were warned, please do not travel for Thanksgiving. They did, 
Uh, this is around the whole country, not just the White House. And there's been a massive spike in the number of cases that can probably directly be related to what happened at Thanksgiving, where people did not stay home. And it's still going on. It's like between now and Christmas and then maybe even the inauguration at the end of January, there are just going to be a whole lot more of these parties and events at the White House, aren't there? Yeah, there's there's continuing to be these kinds of uh, indoor gatherings where people are in close quarters, uh, some of them uh, either not wearing masks or taking down their masks to eat and drink because it is a party. So it's very much a case of do as I say, not as I do. Uh, that continues to be the case. We have seen the president and his uh, and his advisors and his allies, you know, sometimes wearing masks, sometimes taking precautions. Uh, the first lady, for example, was at a Toys for Tots a holiday um, gift drive with the Marine Corps. And uh, she did wear a mask when she was mingling with the guests there. But it can be kind of spotty. And, you know, again, if we're going into this period of a second surge in this country of coronavirus, you really would like to see um, our top officials sort of modeling good behavior. And I think that these kinds of uh, these kinds of holiday gatherings and, and crowding people into uh, a smaller space like what was happening with the State Department just probably aren't setting the best example. Hmm. All righty. One of our texts says, Celeste, you are failing to say where Biden's funds are from. Uh, it is a rather unfair statement to suggest Trump's defense of the electoral process is about fundraising. What's your response to that? Well, I don't know if it's, I don't think I said it was specifically about fundraising in the sense of, is that the only reason why he's doing it? Do I think he would like to see the results of the election overturned? Sure. Uh, why wouldn't he want to stay in power this long or at least give that impression? But it is, it is a simple fact that he is using and I have signed up for the text messages and the emails and I constantly, constantly get uh, messages uh, pleading with me to send money to the campaign. Uh, if, you know, by all uh, by all accounts, um, other than his, the election is over, then why is he still uh, asking people for money? The time is running out. As you said, the Electoral College meets on December 14th. Um, if there was any reasonable way at this point to turn around uh, the outcome of the election, you know, that might be one thing. But if it's a, if it's a lost cause and he's still asking people for money, you have to ask yourself why. So is Joe Biden's campaign still asking people for money? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely selling stuff. There's no question about it. They're uh, asking people for support. As I said, all campaigns, win or lose, end up having debt to retire, staff to pay, uh, legal matters to take care of. That's that's no question. And also, you know, they're thinking about future elections or thinking about helping other candidates, whatever it may be. Uh, sometimes they're raising money for the party as opposed to the campaign itself. So, yeah, there's no question. I'm not suggesting that Joe Biden has magically stopped uh, asking anybody for money because it appears that he has won the election. But in Donald Trump's case, again, there really is, a you know, just days left before the Electoral College votes, uh, what is he going to do with another $10 million or $50 million? Where would that money go? Once they do vote, is there any recourse to change their vote? Uh, I mean, that would certainly be unprecedented as far as I know. Um, you know, there are cases where um, individual states uh, might uh, decide, uh, you know, where the outcome of... Uh, Elections in states might be, uh, you know, so undeterminable that eventually 
an election could be decided by the by Congress, but that would be extremely, extremely unusual. And uh, so far, I just don't see that happening here. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, the governor of Massachusetts has weighed in. The rate Massachusetts residents are getting infected, <laughs> if all continues to move at this pace, is simply not sustainable over time. We managed to reopen our economy without creating a new source of spread, but we are still in a pandemic and the state of Massachusetts is being tested once again. So that's Governor Charlie Baker. How bad are things in Massachusetts at the moment? Well, we are seeing the rates increase. We are having, you know, hospitalizations. We are having deaths. Um, you know, we are having uh, a, a spike in this country. There's just no way about, you know, no way of getting up around that. And part of that is something that you mentioned earlier uh, in our talk, which is that people did not avoid going to family gatherings or traveling on Thanksgiving. Some people did, but the people who didn't, um, some of those people contracted coronavirus and brought it back with them or brought it with them to their destination for the holidays. Uh, you know, I personally know of people who, who got sick that way. And so Massachusetts is among the states that are seeing some of that, uh, you know, some of that fallout now from what happened over the holidays. And we may see it again, unfortunately, around Christmas and New Year's, which are, of course, traditional times for people to, to get together and, and be in close quarters. What's happening in Boston at Christmas? Is the city, you know, full of lights and tinsel and things like that? Is there, or is it a far more subdued place at the moment? Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll sort of see the ramp up, but there's no question that this is not going to be a uh, traditional uh, Christmas or a holiday time uh, here in Massachusetts. There's just not the sort of, you know, the frenzy of in-person shopping. I think people are, are resorting to doing a lot more of their shopping online. Uh, you know, we have limitations on going out, uh, you know, the corporate parties and the kinds of things that you would see. Uh, you know, we went to a, um, a big holiday party for my, uh, for my husband work at the Prudential Tower, which is the, you know, the tallest building in Boston. Like, we're not going to be doing that this year. We're going to be sitting at home, you know, in our pajamas or whatever, whatever we can uh, muster the strength to do. But yeah, not a traditional Christmas in Massachusetts at all. All right. And finally, Ted in Caboolture in Queensland wants to know, do you think the White House is going to have a deep clean when Trump leaves and Biden arrives? The thing about that, of course, is that the it's midday on January 20 that the administration swap over and they've basically got an hour or two while the festivities and the inaugurations going on to get everything out of the White House and move everything else in. So if they're going to have to clean it, they're going to have to do it then, aren't they? Yeah, they're, it's a pretty quick turnaround. I think they end up having something like five or six hours, but uh, probably the best thing they can do to the White House, open the windows open the windows, let some fresh air circulate in there. You know, maybe they wipe down surfaces and so on. But uh, it, is a, it is a pretty quick time frame with, uh, for whatever they want to do to, to welcome uh, the new president. Celeste, the next time we speak, it'll be Christmas Day here in Australia and Christmas Eve in Boston, and I look forward to that. We'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Celeste Katz-Marston in Boston, Massachusetts.